Listen, Dad, are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? <sighs> it almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish it was Sunday. That's Matt. Tomorrow Ray. I don't have to run days. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another mobile-rific episode of Fanhole's Mobile Suit Mondays Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your mobile suit enthusiasts tonight, and I am joined by two, count them, two of my fellow White Base crew. Why don't you guys give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and you can blame this podcast on the misfortune of your birth. Hey, this is Justin. All right, so we are back here with our index coverage of the original Mobile Suit Gundam anime, the one that started it all, and I am feeling a sense of accomplishment because as of this podcast, we have completed disc one of the Blu-ray, guys. Woo! Party time. Excellent. Anyway, I'm happy. But yeah, we're, we're talking about episode 10, which is titled Garma's Fate, and the original Japanese air date was June 9th, 1979, and of course, the ocean dub that aired on Cartoon Network aired on August 3rd, 2001. And of course, we've got that same intro setting up the show and the whole one-year war and everything. And of course, we see the title card that says, Garma's Fate. And Char and Garma are attending this extravagant party within Zeon-occupied territory. While the former mayor of the town, Joseph Isenbach, hates the Zeon, his daughter, Isolina, is having a secret love affair with our favorite hair-twirling purple-haired kid, Garmazabi. This dalliance during wartime, of course, does not go unnoticed by Shar. So, I have a question right away for you guys, and I don't know if this is something that you took note of or not. And I don't think I ever took note of this before, but now that we're discussing it on the podcast, I guess my brain goes into the, all the minutia. And, like, so you know how, like, when they landed and we went into the whole, like, Great Canyon, Grand Canyon thing? So we're kind of assuming there's a, a trajectory to the white base's flight path, kind of when it, it lands and hits, you know, North America, and eventually Jabiro is is in, you know, basically South America and everything like that. So, according to the Gundam Wikia, Joseph Isenbach is the former mayor of New York City. So, part of me is kind of like, oh, okay, so is this... And, and I mean, that kind of fits with the what we kind of know of, of what is considered Xeon-occupied territory on the planet Earth. Like, most of north america you know canada alaska like mo most of that you know and and the usa 
you know, as we know it, you know, in, in this timeline is pretty much considered Xeon occupied territory. And then when you get further down into South America, that's when it's more Federation occupied because that's where Jaburo and, and that other stuff is. So I guess what I'm wondering about is, did that occur to any of you while you were watching this? And like that, that's, that's just something I just want to throw out there. Cause it's going to, it's going to come up later with other, I guess, plot points in this episode that I'm going to point out, but I guess just to kick it off to see where you guys stand, like, is that anything you thought about or knew about or heard about before, I guess we, we sat down to talk about this. I did kind of like watch rewatching this episode and rewatching this episode. I kind of thought like, I think I always had the vibe that this was some kind of American city. Okay. Like even if I wasn't totally aware, like where the white base was at the time, just cause I don't know, like the sports stadium, I was kind of right. like, well, only it's like, that's like Boston or something. There's a stadium in the middle of the city. Or yeah. That, that's yeah, so. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask about that later in the show when it specifically comes up. Cause because th- that's what kind of threw me because I, I we'll talk about it but I I kind of started wondering like well I'm I'm like you know based on some of the visuals I'm like I don't know if that qualifies as a New York sports stadium you know but anyway that's that's kind of one of the things that that I noticed that I was going to bring up and and one of the other things that I was going to bring up is you and I Mike recently watched the the last chapter of Gundam the Origin Part Six, and I just want to point out that Garma's lady admirers, not not Isolina, but these these kind of random hanger-ons that kind of view him from afar, you know, and everything like that. I I, I kind of noticed like there were these girls that were you know waiting with bated breath in the Origin at Char and Garma, kind of like they're you know Backstreet Boys or new kids on the block or something, and all these like screamy girls and stuff like that. <laughs> and like, at least in the origin, I was like, well, they might be annoying screamy girls, but at least they're kind of cute. But like these ones kind of seem more like, and, and maybe Justin will, will know the reference here, but you know, these, these kind of all look like the, the teacher in cutie honey, where they kind of look like those big nose ladies from the last Jedi or whatever. <laughs> like they don't, they don't quite look like it's like, it's like if Garma was like kind of, hooted and hollered at by these chicks i'd kind of be like um i gotta go get some casseroles i'll I'll be right back ladies you know like that kind of thing so but yeah that that was kind of something that that took took i took note of in this where i was like oh they're not quite as cute as i thought you know like or at least compared to the ones in the origin the origin ones are kind of cuter than the ones in this arena this episode so Garma and Isolina rendezvous on an outside balcony like star-crossed lovers from Romeo and Juliet. And Isolina clearly loves Garma and wants to spend the rest of her days with the Xeon commander, regardless of her father's feelings about them. Garma, on the other hand, has a plan to appease his father, Degwin Zabi, by obtaining Federation secrets in order to gain his approval for Isolina to marry into the Zabi dynasty. Garma believes once he delivers the Federation's V-Project that his father will not oppose their nuptials. However, even if his father ultimately decides not to support him, he declares to Isolina he will abandon Zeon. Shar, of course, is not too far away to overhear their so-called private chat. So here's another question I had for you guys. What do you think 
Degwin Zabi would do if Garma actually sort of brought this like ultimatum to him, or or at least like say say he say Garma succeeded, right? Say they defeated the White Base and he had the secret plans and brought it back to his father and said, "All right, I did this for you. Like now, can we? You know, now can me and Isolina get married? Is it cool? Like, do you think that?" Zabi would still go along with that, or do you think there's still too much star-crossedness where it's like, oh no, you're not marrying no Federation girl, you know, like from from New York City or wherever they're from. Like, what do you, what do you think might happen if there was like a a Gundam what if? Like, where do you see that kind of going? I, I could see him approving of it just for like the PR for it. You know, it's like a Zeon Prince marrying like right. right. The daughter of a former Federation mayor, like that, would be a big like like a coup feather him. in his hat. Okay. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Like there, there would be a lot of like positive press, and they could definitely spin that around to their advantage. So I could see him approving it just for that. I'm I'm just still stuck on the Backstreet Boys reference. Where it's like <laughs> it's like Garma's back. All right. <laughs> no, yeah, like I agree with Justin. Like you know, I, I bet like. Degwin, at least, would see this as a, you know, maybe a, some kind of political coup. Now, like, Garen maybe would probably be like, you know, make sure an accident happens to Garma's, like, fiance or something. Yeah, like, yeah. So. okay, okay, I could see that. See, that's something I didn't even think of. Like, my my, my logic was, I was going to ask you guys if Degwin decided against it. But let's say, let's let's go with your, your guys' thing. Like, say... Say Degwin thought it was a cool political coup in his cap or whatever, but say say Gearin doesn't support it, and and say he tried to have her killed or whatever, and and you know she survives, but you know there you know, do you think Garma would have had the wherewithal to go AWOL like he says, where he's like, if this doesn't work out, like I will I will abandon Zeon. Like, do you think Garma had the stones to do that, or like what do you what do you think about? that if that was an eventuality no I, I can't really see him going up against his whole family and casting that aside for her like I, I think i think if he like went to them and told them and they said no and like he tried to leave like they just wouldn't let him leave like they would just keep him on you know side wherever they're at or whatever yeah they'd keep him like kind of a prisoner or whatever and I don't know, like, probably keep him confined to, like, an estate or something, like, you know, because, you know, he's a kind of, you know, rich, it'd be like a rich boy prison or whatever, where it's like, you have to stay in this luxurious mansion, like, surrounded by guards, and, like, you can never leave, like, now. Yeah, and, and while while he's there, Iselina would have, like, an accident, and they would blame the Federation somehow, and he'd be like, let me out of here, I gotta get revenge, and then he'd be like, you know, hellbent for revenge and yeah. all that. And then Char would take advantage of all the like wheelings and dealings to either take Garma's position on Earth or you know do anything he can to get closer to like the Zabi leadership. Makes sense. So so it's pretty much safe to say like Isolina probably loves Garma more than Garma loves her. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Okay. So the the other note I had about this sequence and, and some of the the plot that I'm going to continue to to synopsize as we go along here is one thing I I noticed and occasionally because I'm I'm watching all the different versions of this before we we get on the air and talk about this like the background music is different in the Japanese version of the party so 
I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but you know, I just wanted to make a note of that and, you know, maybe I can obviously expound upon that with some, some various audio clips, but it is, it is different in the Japanese. It's not the Backstreet Boys? It's not the Backstreet Boys. No, no, it's not. It's not the new kids either. お父さん、<笑><笑> ガルマ、あの神社は誰だいおお、I hear that your father, Sovereign Zabi, may be visiting Earth sometime in the near future. I haven't heard anything. Ah, well, if he does come, it would be a great honor to serve under him. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. I'll see you later. Ooh, Gama always looks so gallant in his uniform. I think I'm gonna faint. Bunch of fools. They'd all be terrified if they knew about the Trojan horse and the new mobile suit. That's right. The problem is, there's too much area to cover for us to pursue the Trojan horse. Garma, who's that gentleman? Well, I deal with it this way. That's the former mayor, Eschenbach. He hates the Zeon. Although he did stay behind, seems he decided to look after the civilians. Sounds like a stubborn man. It's my pleasure to introduce Isalina Eschenbach. If you'll excuse me, Shar. Romance on the front lines. <laughs> Same spoiled rich kid. He thinks a Zeon commander who's an heir to the Zabi family isn't good enough for his daughter? Yes. 
<laughs> With all due respect, it sounds just like your father. I don't care one bit about the problems between the Zeon and the Federation. The only thing I really care about is you. Nothing could stop me from loving you. Isalina. When one of his men interrupts Garma's romantic interlude to update him on the white base about to break through Xeon-occupied territory into Federation-friendly airspace, he states that he has planned for this occasion with an additional line of defense. Garma heads off in the Gao to intercept the white base with the intent to declare Isolina his fiance once he captures the Federation's new weapons and presents them to his father. So I do have one note here, which is in the movie version, after they have this sequence and they pan up to the moon after, I guess, Garma and Isolina have their little romantic interlude, in the TV version it just pans up to the moon. In the movie version, it pans up to the moon and I think it's like a little white dove is kind of like flying along the moon, you know, like into the moon or, you know, like it's visual, but you know, that, that occurs. And I was like, oh, it's not in, you know, it's not in the TV version. So that got me thinking about like La La and the whole, you know, swan and the rain and all that kind of stuff. Like, I guess like, is, could, could Garma and Isolina have been like star-crossed lover new type people or something, but they just never got the chance to be like, is that bird stuff kind of like, the, the hints of something like that or is it just a romantic thing like that they're they're trying to make peace sort of between like a federation girl and a a zeon prince or like what do you, do you guys take that any which way as any kind of symbolism one way or the other yeah i mean i suppose like it's probably it's probably some like i'm sure if you looked it up like it's like some like japanese like metaphor for something like i think we we take it as like peace but like who knows celebrated and revered throughout japan the bird is symbolic of longevity luck love and much more as whiteface attempts to creep through the decimated city under a cover of darkness Amaro and Bright argue whether or not the Gundam should take point and be utilized as a decoy so the white base can make its escape from the enemy ships. Before they can settle their differences, the Xeon forces launch a flare to light up the sky. Bright's on-the-fly plan is to seclude the white base within a hollowed-out sports stadium and to go dark much like a submarine going into silent running or stealth mode. Bright orders Amuro in the Gundam, Kai in the Gun Cannon, as well as Ryu and Hayato in the Gun Tank to also go silent and stand by to attack if needed. So now we're, we're back at the sports stadium. Now this is, this is a domed sports stadium. So that, that was me kind of overthinking things here because I'm like, well, if he's a former New York mayor and Xeon occupied territory is North America, you might presume that they're in New York City, but then I was kind of like thinking about it, and I'm like, I mean, I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but I like, I don't remember there being a lot of domed sports stadiums in New York City, and so I started looking up stadiums and everything. Like, it kind of looks like I, there was some debate over this. Like, I think I tried to look up like old. Gundam message boards and stuff like that and like there was some debate like people were kind of suggesting maybe it's like in Seattle because it looks like the Kingdom and like I could sort of 
see that, you know, like, so I was like, but then it's kind of weird. Cause it's like, why would you go from the grand Canyon? If you're white base to Seattle, like if you're trying to go to Jabbero, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like you're going in the wrong fucking direction. So I, I don't, but then again, going to New York doesn't seem like to make a whole lot of sense either. You know, if you're in, if you're in like Arizona, you know, like damn woman drivers. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's all Mirai's fault. She doesn't know where the hell she's, I don't know. But yeah, I like, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I, I guess we can assume it's like the future and they made a new stadium at some point in whatever city this is yeah, that wasn't true. there that's before. True. Yeah, you, you can you can blame it on like, it's the future, you know, like that, that y- y- th- there might not be a domed stadium in New York now, but there is one now. Or conceivably, maybe they're they're still in, you know, they're they're closer to the Grand Canyon you know, then we think like maybe they're in Texas or something somewhere, but there's a dome stadium, but yeah, I don't know. Frau Bo still has to deal with grumpy old geezer millennials who constantly complain and Kika, Let's and Cats are also with the civilians in the cargo hold trying to tend to a crying baby. Frau Bo tends to the child until the mother comes back for her baby. While the white base waits for an opening to attack, Shar suggests that Garma flush them out of hiding by carpet bombing the area. We see the heightened tension of the white base crew as the bombardment begins and continues throughout the night. So I kind of took the baby thing a couple different ways depending on the version I watched, but I'm just kind of curious before I go into my thoughts on it, like what was your read of that scene? Like the the scene where the, the mother comes for the, the child and, and Kika lets and cats are kind of looking after it. I was kind of wondering like how they ended up with the baby. Like, did they find it? Did she let them take care of it while she like went to get food or go to the bathroom or something? Like, that's what I was kind of questioning. Yeah. Like it felt, it kind of felt like I was like, wait, like there's a wild baby on board. <laughs> or something they, like where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Okay. And you'll notice, like, you'll notice also, like, in that scene, there's, like, one of the old people is, like, holding a baby, too. So mm. it's, like, maybe, you know, some people got left behind and they had to, like, you know, protect some kids or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. but th- then I was, like, oh, the mother is there. Okay, well, what was she doing? Like, Yeah, yeah, that's, well, see, that that's the thing. Like, like to me, like, I think when I, the way I read it in the Ocean Group dub, I was kind of, like, thinking... First, you're like, oh, is this an abandoned baby? But then you're like, oh, the mother came back from it. And I was like, what, did she lose the baby? Like, what? <laughs> like, like I, I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird to me the way it played. And, like, I, I almost did kind of get the idea, like, this woman lost her baby. And, and Kika Let's and Cats kind of stumbled upon it and tried to, you know, like, in their own way, you know, be responsible for it right and then and then even when you know the flashlight is getting shown on it's like well don't you know we're, we're trying to take care of this kid and not make him whine and scream like we get we have to be quiet because they're carpet bombing us and in their mind they're like trying to take care of business and help the only way they can but i think when i watched like the the japanese version like i guess i kind of got the impression that like you know how like Sometimes I don't I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not but I have when I was like young I was usually if if somebody babysat me they were usually adults 
Like that that's kind of how my parents viewed things was like you didn't let kids babysit other kids. And I remember there was this big kerfluffle in the neighborhood one time because I think they let like I don't know if she was 10 or 11 or something like that and they had some girl babysit a baby and then the baby ended up like wandering outside the house and nearly got run over. And like that that was like one of those things where like I kind of was wondering if it was a case like that where this was just a stupid mother who was like, okay, you three wild, crazy kids, you know, like give everybody the Japanese finger by like putting down their eye and sticking out their tongue. Like, why don't you watch my kid for a few minutes, you know, type thing. And like, for some reason I got like, there was more of an arrangement there. Whereas in the ocean group dub, it was just kind of like, what happened to my baby? You know, like where'd it go? You know, type thing. So, uh, but I don't, I don't know if if you guys watched any different versions or anything like that. But that I, I kind of took it differently depending on the version I watched. Baby won't be quiet. Frabo, help us! Where's your mother, Retsu? There, there, now don't cry. We'll find your mommy. Everything's going to be just Kika, where's my baby? She's all right. Thank you, thank you. There now, she'll be okay. Oh. <gasps> Stop it! Hey, don't shine that light on him! Come on, would you cut it out? What are you doing over there? Here, give him to me. See? You don't have to cry anymore. My baby, my baby. There you are. Oh. There now, it's all right. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Essenbach residence, Isolina is stopped from making off in a jet by the local housekeeping staff. The two men drag Isolina in front of her father, who is fully aware of their marriage plans. When Isolina declares that her father cannot stop her, he simply gives her a backhanded bright slap as she falls to the floor sobbing. The staff are then forbidden to give Isolina the keys to the jet as she cries out for her lover, Garma. <laughs> the father was like, now get in Gundam! And he was like, oh crap, I got Bright's line, sorry. <laughs> like, he's, pretty, that was, he's pretty hardcore. Yeah, he like pretty much hauls off and like just like, you know, whacks her. Like, I was like, wow, okay, like chill out, dude. Like, you know, it's not... It's not that bad. Like, clearly you have, like, people to restrain her. I mean, you don't have to, like, freak out on her, but whatever. I I was just kind of wondering, like, what she thought she was going to do. Like, did she think she was just going to fly out and meet him? I mean, surely she knew he was going off to battle. Like, did, like, was she going to, like, fly off and join him in battle? Like, I, I wasn't quite sure, like, what her line of thinking was. But, I mean, like... Also, I guess, you know, she's, like, a young kid in love, so she probably yeah, yeah. didn't really think it through. She's just like, I'm going to go meet Garma, yay! And I was just like, you're going to get blowed up. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a likelihood she could get shot down, and then, I mean, but what was she thinking? Like, may, maybe she just thought she was escaping from her father. Like, that was her first and foremost goal, because I think her thought was, they're going to forbid me from seeing Garma again, so my solution to that is just to fly off and meet him, you know, consequences be damned. Like, like we were saying before, she seems to ha love him more than he loves her. Like, she seems to be right. willing to throw away a lot more than, than he is to, 
to retain their relationship. So, yeah, so like she he... probably wasn't thinking so much of like the consequences to her own life as like, oh, I just want to, I just want to get away, and and the easiest way to get away is to take this plane and then meet up with him. And like, I, I it, it probably in her head, you know, in her twisted Harley Quinn fantasy where like Jared Leto <laughs> doesn't have the Joker makeup. Like she probably like makes it all the way to his plane and he's already victorious by the time she gets there. So she's like in no danger. And then, you know, they get married and have kids and he delivers the plans and like everything's like hunky dory after that. Like, I, I think that's kind of where her head was at. And I think at that intense moment of backhanded bright slaps, we get the whole shoo commercial break. Shoo! Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? <laughs> Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. <laughs> now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. And then when we're back from the commercial break, show! Char convinces Garma to let him deploy in the Zaku to search for the white face after Char brings up that his feelings for his woman may be clouding his effectiveness on the battlefield. They wish each other luck as Char deploys along with two other Zakus. Bright finally acquiesces to Amaro's suggestion and lets him deploy in the Gundam to lure Char and the Zaku squad away from Whiteface. Char manages to assault Amuro and the Gundam a number of times, but Amuro's skills have improved, and he manages to cap one of the Zaku wingmen and lure the other Zaku wingman out into the open. Char, however, catches on quickly to Amuro's ploy and even locates the white face in hiding within the dome stadium waiting to strike. One thing, I, I think it kind of goes unsaid in this episode, but like I kind of like how early in the episode Amaro's like well why don't I you know go out and be the bait and you know this is like I'll go out and be a advanced scout with Gundam and then I'll lure him out and stuff and Bright kind of just ignores him and like shuts him down and says like go go on standby like shut up like but then he ends up going with Amaro's plan so I like I think that was kind of a you know it was kind of Bright trying to be a commanding officer where he was kind of like don't question me on the bridge like, if I want to use your idea, I'll use it. But, you know, you go do your job first. Well, I, I kind of feel like it's a good call by him because it's a timing thing. It's like, 
it's not necessarily that Amuro has a bad plan, but I don't think Bright wanted the Whiteface to be on the run while Amuro deployed. Like, I think his whole notion was, okay, we'll hide out, then you can go out and distract them, and when we get them in the right position, then we'll all fucking, you know, open fire blazing, and, and we'll be in a better position to do that than instead of being, like, constantly, you know, on the run, where it's like if Amuro went out and they were still just trying to, like, run away, it'd be kind of stupid, because they could just ignore Amuro and all gang up on the white face. You know, and then Amuro would have to go back and defend them anyway. You know, so like I think in this case, the, you know, the way it ends up playing out when when Bright finally agrees is because okay, we're in hiding. We'll just wait for these dumb fucks to fly up, you know, over us. And once they're in our sights, you distract the Zaku's, so we don't have to worry about them. And then we can open fire on the Gaw and all this other crap. Like, so I, I thought, you know, in terms of, you know, Bright being like that kind of Cyclops tactician guy, you know, like it, it makes sense to me strategically, you know? Yeah. I, I just think it was a bit of like Amaro's impetuousness, like showing and Bright. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also like Bright trying to maintain some kind of military discipline where it's like, like, it's not like, because even Amaro says like, don't forget that I'm a civilian too. And like Bright's just kind of like treating him like a soldier I kind of thought, like, in that sequence, Char's kind of like if, like, Riker was treacherous, you know? Like, he's, like, the number two, like, going, like, oh, like, you stay here on the ship, Picard, because I need to be the away, you know, I need to be on the away team and, and keep you safe here. But it's actually, like, you know, it'd be like a mirror Riker where he's, like, he, you know, is, like, stay on the bridge, Picard, so you can get your ass blown up and then I can be in charge type thing. <laughs> and then Char is like, "Here, have have an action figure of me." <laughs> yes, yes. Char Char runs around handing out action figures of himself to all the Japanese children. And it is cool that like Char, like, not only is Char the only one to see where the white base is hiding, he's kind of like, "Oh, like that's a good plan. Like I'm gonna use it, like for my own, you know, ends, basically." Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I noticed in terms of sort of the tone of the various versions like the way there, there's a there's a line of dialogue Char has where the, the essential gist of it is he feels he's either discovering or noticing or, or kind of you know voicing that he feels uncomfortable with the fact that he is he, he knows this is the time to strike in terms of what his goals are with the zombies, and and he knows he's going to use this moment, but he, he kind of feels guilty about the soldiers that are at his side that he served under, these two Zakus that went out into the field with him. But it plays very differently to me between all three versions. Like, the, the Japanese dialogue where he talks about this, the, the direct quote he has in the Japanese dialogue is misleading my own troops doesn't sit too well with me. And to me, I, I think it seems sincere, but he's also a little bit surprised that he has sort of doubts at this point in time. I think in the ocean dub, he kind of has a tone where 
again, he's discovering this. So, I mean, it, 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 it's trying to be consistent with the Japanese language, but I, I feel like he's a little more confused in the Japan or in the, um, the ocean dub where he's kind of like, he's, he's kind of confused that he feels this way. Like, like it, it's not that he's sincere, but he's kind of like, why, why am I, it's like, isn't it weird that I'm so upset about this? Like that, that was kind of the tone I got. Whereas I, I felt like the Japanese felt sincere, like, like he's surprised that he's having self doubt, but he's sincerely kind of like, Oh, I kind of feel bad about misleading my own troops, these guys I've served with. Whereas the the Ocean dub kind of seemed like, he's like, I'm misleading my own guys. Isn't that weird? That's kind of weird, right? Like, I'm not sure if I should, well, I guess I'm going to do it anyway. You know, type thing. And then, like, the movie dub, of course, like, like all the stuff in the movie dub is is much more, like, hit you over the head. Like, he's super snarky and almost, like, dismissive about it. You know, where he's just like, you know, oh, well, like, I can't help this. Too bad. You guys are fucked. Like, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and mislead you. It's like, I, I feel guilty, but not really, you know, like type thing. So I don't know. But wh- how did you guys kind of take that scene, whichever version you, you watched? That, I'd, I'd go with your interpretation, I guess. Like, I, I like I watched the ocean dub and like I was just kind of. You know, he he's he sounds he's like it feel like I don't know he kind of like I guess he wanted to feel bad, but like the tone of voice he uses kind of like amused almost. He probably does uh, feel bad, like genuinely, but he's also probably feeling like a twinge of excitement because he's about to execute his plan to dispose of Garmin. So he, he probably is a little bit conflicted. What a pity. I feel guilty about tricking my own men so shamefully, but I couldn't help it. So then, I'm sure the Fetties must have launched their mobile suits by now. Somehow, deliberately misleading soldiers on my own side doesn't sit too well. Well, that mobile suit should have left the Trojan horse already. So Char figures that this is his best opportunity to begin to exact his vengeance on the Zabi family. Char contacts Garma, telling him that the Gundam is retreating and to follow him to find Whiteface. As Garma's Gao readies its beam cannons, Whiteface, the gun tank, and the gun cannon are right behind them. They begin firing, decimating the group and inflicting serious damage to the Gao. Amuro destroys the Xeon mobile suit he has lured away from Whiteface and looks on to see the battle in progress. Garma is prepared to make a kamikaze run into the white base. However, the Gao is repeatedly struck by white base's cannon fire, just short of making it to white base. As Garma's Gao plummets to the earth, Shar radios Garma, telling him to blame these unfortunate series of events on the misfortune of his birth. As Shar bellows with laughter, Garma takes the helm of the Gao attempting to plow directly into White Base. As the White Base ascends, the Gao is obliterated by cannon fire. Garma's last thoughts are of Isolina and the glory of Zeon. Amuro is notably struck by Garma's suicide attack. 
Later, at the Essenbach mansion, the former mayor informs his daughter that Garma has been killed in battle. Iselina runs outside weeping and beats on a tree with her fists. What did that tree ever do to you, Iselina? Elsewhere, on side three, the Principality of Zeon, Garma's father, Degwin Zabi, reveals his shock and grief by dropping his cane to the floor when the messenger brings word that his favorite son died in battle. No words can express the grief that he feels. And that's pretty much the end of the episode. I think it's worth mentioning that for the movie version, this episode is such a key moment in the franchise and the series that pretty much virtually everything from this episode was in the movie, except for, oddly enough, when Degwin Zabi drops his cane, which they talk about. There's, like, a, a Japanese narrator, or I guess, you know, in the, the English dub, it's the same thing. They, they narrate it and kind of say, oh, by the way, Degwin Zabi, you know, got the news and, and dropped his cane and everything, but they don't actually show that clip from the TV episode, but other than that, virtually the entire episode is part of the movie version. I find that kind of weird, because it's like, the origin, like, adaptation kind of treats that as, like, as, like, a seminal moment in Gundam, like, it's like a, you know, it's a page, and it's very dramatic, like, a description, it's like, it, it, it's very, like, if I remember correctly, it's very, like, flowery like poetic description of what has happened it's like it is said like that degwin zabi let fall the scepter from his hand when he heard of his young son's de demise or something and yeah, it's like yeah. a full page like of it but and yeah i'm surprised to learn it's not in the well like i i pro i i haven't watched those movies in years but i'm surprised to hear that it's not in there. yeah i thought i mean because that that seems like I mean, this entire episode seems like a really key moment in the entire, whether it's the series or the, you know, novels or the the movies, like the franchise, like this entire episode seems pretty key. But even that moment, like, it's interesting because, you know, most times Degwin Zabi seems pretty composed, you know, and, and this is the one moment where you, you can see sort of the cracks in his you know, in his, his person, you know, like he actually is, you know, sort of human, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it's always kind of been hinted at that, you know, Garma is his favorite son. He's the baby, you know, like all these kind of things, like he kind of treats him especially well among all the children. Cause all the other children are little fucking shits for the most part. And Garma's <laughs> a little shit too, but like, I guess he, he loves him the best, you know, like that's, I mean, that's his favorite, you know, and it's like getting told like your favorite son died, you know, pretty much. It's like, it's like, he, he it, it's kind of like if they cut out like the silent scream scene in Godfather three, you know, like where they just cut that entire scene for time. And you're just like, what? Like, that's like, that's like the whole fucking scene. You know? How did you were, you were kind of mentioning it before we started recording but how does this scene play out in like the original dub like version oh like oh it's it's not in there it, it's it? not like, yeah it's like what's funny is the 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 movie like in in what it, what happens basically is they she beats on the tree 
And, like, you can... It's funny, because I think in that movie dub, like, you can hear her, like, go... You know, like, actually, like, bang on the fucking tree. And then the... And then and then I think it cuts to, like, like the the some point in maybe the next episode where they're dealing with, like, I think the funeral, and, like, they're... It, it's just, like, a cut of, like, the... You know, the side, basically. And then the narrator's just kind of, like, and Degwin Zobby got word, and he was really sad, and he dropped his cane. And I'm just like, wait, <laughs> so you're just telling us that? But you don't, I mean, you might, you might as well just fucking show it, right? Like, I, I don't know, it was very strange. Garma, youngest son of Duke Dagon Soto Zabi, was dead. The Duchy of Zion observed deep mourning for the fallen lad. It was said that Duke Dagon received the news without a word. His grief was revealed only by the fact that he let his cane slip from his grasp. The Duke ordered his eldest son, Giran, to call the Zabi family together. I like, um, <laughs> I was kind of laughing. Like, I, again, before we were recording, you and me were kind of joking about how, like, blase, like, Isolina's father is at reporting. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, uh, Garma has died. <laughs> he is gone. Goodbye. I'm, I'm like, surprised he's not like, woo, or whatever. Like, yeah. Like, no, like the type of guy he seems like. He I, it's like, for some reason, I had, like, the Simpsons in my head when I saw that scene. Because, like, he's <laughs> he's puffing a cigar. And, like, I kind of thought, like, of, like, Dr. Hibbert, where he's like, like, your love for Gama couldn't compare to the love of a man for a good Cuban cigar. Like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know why that made me think of that, but... Iselina. Father? Iselina Gama fell during battle. He's gone. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a really good episode. Um, during the battle between Amaro and Char's forces, like, there's some, I, I think there's some pretty nice animation. Uh, during that sequence, especially like when Amuro blows the head off one of those sakus, I was like, "Oh, it's there was some nice animation." And even back when they were doing the carpet bombing of the city, like there was some nice animation too. And then, especially when Garma's gog gets shot down and it goes down in a ball of flames and uh, rubble, like it, it's a very nicely, I don't know, it almost looks kind of painted scene for uh, for a little bit. Like it, it's it's really nice. I like that. And, you know I, know, I know some people, when this was originally on Cartoon Network, there were a lot of detractors saying, like, oh, this is old, who cares? You know, it's not cool. I was like, there's some really nice sequences in this series, and I think this episode has a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Tomino would have let this much of it stay in the movie if he was unhappy with the animation quality. Like, he seemed pretty, pretty ardent about stuff where he thought the animation wasn't up to par and i guess he was he was special editioning shit way before lucas ever did right because these those movies you know anytime they had a shot to you know put in some better animation of, of you know i don't know char's face in the monitor or things like that they would they would try to do that for the movie version and like i said for the most part this episode pretty much stays intact and that kind of goes along with what you're saying that the the animation sequences are really well done in this episode and and, and work out I, pretty nicely i've always loved like the ocean dub shars like 
delivery of that final line where he's like, you know, hey, karma, like, you know, you can blame this on the unfortunate, you know, circumstances of your birth. Like, and I, I forgot, like, I didn't like when I read the origin, like the English translation of that line. I don't I, It was like a little more clunky and it was like something like karma, like blame your troublesome origin for this or some like oh, something that didn't okay. like wasn't very like lyrical and you couldn't like think imagine anyone really saying in like (laughs) real life but yeah like the dub voices did a good job on this like even i think we discussed it like on uh maybe in one of the origin discussions but it's like garma's ocean group voice doesn't really like capture the whininess of him as he is in the origin i guess so like i don't Maybe he's a little more annoying in the origin, and like he's definitely a lot more like bishy in the origin. Yeah, but yeah. Like, yeah. Well, but, I mean, I guess I mean you know I mean he's he's still doing the hair flip. He's still got purple hair. He's still yeah. kind of a Backstreet Boy. But I, I I get what you're saying. Like he there there's there's moments of his composure, and like it's worth noting. Like I mean he he does attempt the kamikaze attack. Like that's gotta be very poignant in terms of Japanese culture, like seeing a character like that, basically that's the way he's going to sort of maintain his honor in defeat, you know, like that he's just going to, the only thing he thinks he can do now is slam his ship into white base, basically. And, and, and he gets fucking obliterated. You know, like, I mean, and what's funny is, like, I don't know anybody's names. I can't point to any historical, you know, moments in World War II or anything like that. But there had to be people like that where they decided, all right, I'm going to go kamikaze. And then the fucking, you know, ships just blew them out of the fucking sky. You know, like, so, I mean, this this must be something that is seen as as poignant you know to uh to a japanese audience especially well if we're talking about the actual history like a lot of them were shot down before they even made you know impact on a ship and there were even there were even a lot who i I know this sounds weird but there were even a lot of pilots who missed their target and they would just either because of like anti-aircraft fire or whatever like they would hit the ocean and just die that way the only other thing I wanted to bring up, like, you kind of, like, intimated that, like, you know, Amaro was kind of, like, shell-shocked from seeing that, like, I, like, I, I'm sure that is the intent, but, like, I kind of feel like that there was, like, a pan over the city right before that scene where Amaro's all, like, you know, not responsive and stuff. I was kind of wondering if it was more him just marveling at like how desolated like the city was like because like i mean they haven't been on earth too long at this point so he was kind of you know saying like this is what the war has done like hmm. i i don't know okay. like I'm, I'm sure it's more like about the kamikaze attack no, no, but, but I... that's that's i mean that must be it, it's not there's no nothing to say it can't be a combination of those things you know like yeah devastation of of the city and the planet i mean if this is seattle or new york or wherever the hell we we're guessing it is you know like i mean you would be hard pressed to think that you've seen those those places in 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 the state that they're in in this episode right like i mean it looks like freaking mad max beyond thunderdome or some shit you know like it looks like 
Fist of the North Star, where it's practically dystopian, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, that's that's perfectly reasonable in my mind. I mean, I, I kind of thought more of the immediacy of what had just happened and him just being like, holy shit, that guy, like, tried to, like, there's going to be people that try to do that to us? Like, that's, you know, somebody did, just can't comprehend that there are people that would even attempt that, you know? And, and Amaro's like, whoa, like, this is, you know... This is some crazy, you know, shit. This is some heavy out. shit, man. Yeah. This is some heavy yeah. shit, Doc. Why do you keep using that word, Marty? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I I will say, and maybe this is something discussion for the next episode, but it's like the next episode's title is Isalina's Revenge, Love's Remains. It's like a bad romance novel <laughs> or something. Like, I'm like, man... Isalina needs to leave that fucking tree alone. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Swamp thing's gonna was, come out of the fucking tree yeah. and be like, or Captain why, Planet. Why are you beating like, me up, lady? <laughs> please stop. Please stop doing that, or I'll write you up. <laughs> like, I'll write uh, you up for uh, I will, abuse. I will write write you a green ticket. <laughs> like, Shut up, Garmin's dead. Like, Whoopi, Mother Gaia, Whoopi Goldberg's getting annoyed. Like, stop that. Like, but yeah, like. Good episode. Very, very uh, historic. You know, this is a one of, like, you know, uh, out of the forty-three episodes, this is probably one of the like top ten oh, most yeah. important. I'd say. Yeah, this is a key, yeah. key episode. All right. So I think that wraps things up for tonight's discussion of Mobile Suit Mondays. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, we hope you consider checking out all of the Fan Holes Podcast Network shows. In addition to Mobile Suit Mondays, we have Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them?, where we talk about comics, Big in Japan, where we talk about anime, and Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, and of course the Fan Holes podcast proper. You can find us on iTunes, we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, of course we appreciate five-star reviews. We're on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, feedback, retweets, etc., and if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanhallspodcast at gmail.com. If you like, you can listen to the backlog of our episodes over on fanhallspodcast.blogspot.com. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, who will survive, signing off. It's my glory to the glory of Zeon. And this is Justin. this podcast into white base now karma's back all right (laughs) 
you know, it's it's funny because like I like I, I'm used to it by now, but it's like I always like whenever Char's like anywhere without his helmet on, I'm always like like who's that guy with a pair of underwear on his head? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like if Darth Vader was like walking around without his helmet on. Yes, it's like it's true. Ew! Look at the back of his skull. <laughs> Karma's like, I hate you. And Char's like, like, I have the high ground. Blame this on the misfortune of your whiny bitchness. (laughs) I'm sorry, Karma's dead. He fell in battle. No, come here and I'll slap you again. <laughs> well, she's she's carrying on the cycle of abuse. He slapped her, so she went to she go went slap that beat tree. Up that tree. <laughs> Young mistress, you must leave the tree alone and stop trying to run off with car keys to start a plane, which doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't have started anyway, you stupid girl. <laughs> Slaps her again. I don't know what she was doing. Like, planes don't even have keys yet. <laughs> They're just to open the door. My love for Garma will see me through. Uh, 